Good morning. <laughs> Try and stop me. <laughs> Good morning. Church, are you singing about the goodness of God this morning? Is it in your hearts? Well, we've been in a series about the end times, and we're going to take a break from that this morning because it is the week of Thanksgiving, and boy, has that come upon us quickly, hasn't it? But I'm glad there's a coldness in the air. It makes it feel more holiday-like. I wasn't appreciating those 75-degree weekends. I, I know you haters out there hate me for saying that, but you've got to be cold for the holidays. You've got to be cold for the holidays. All right, all right. So this morning, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. And not about the holiday, but about thankfulness should, should be in the heart of every Christian. I'm going to get a little personal this morning, church. I'm going to relay a story to you that is, um, very, was very impactful for me. But I hope that by sharing that story, we can all see the goodness of God and how it should make us more thankful. So why on earth do I have a picture of somebody holding a pile full of soil with a little plant growing out of it. Why don't I have a pardoned turkey up there? It's Thanksgiving, isn't it? Well, this picture more succinctly conveys my message to you this morning, church, and that is out of the soil of suffering should grow a tree of thanksgiving. Out of the soil of suffering should grow a tree of thanksgiving. Stephen asked this morning in the first service what we were thankful for, and one of the, the fine saints in the... Uh, Chairs here shouted out, trials. And I was impressed by that. Are you thankful for your trials? Do you learn from your trials? Church, there was a evangelist around the turn of the 20th century named G. Campbell Morgan, and he tells the story of a great young preacher who was impressive early in his ministry. Once he had a, the young man speak at his church and after the sermon, Morgan asked his wife, wasn't that powerful? And she quietly said, yes, but it will be more powerful when he has suffered. Morgan adds, well, he suffered and it was more powerful. Why church? Why was the young preacher more powerful after he had suffered? Because church, suffering can do one of two things in my opinion. It can draw us away from the Lord or it can bring us to a deeper understanding of who the Lord is and who we are. Where are you at this morning with your trials and tribulations, church? Is it drawing you away from the Lord or is it helping you understand who you are in light of a holy God, a great God? Let's start with the definition of thankfulness. What is thankfulness? Well, it's, this is from the dictionary. I didn't make this up. If you're thankful, you are impressed by kindness received and the desire to acknowledge it. Impressed by the kindness received and the desire to acknowledge it. For our Christian purposes, church, I would tweak that first word a little bit. I would change impressed to imprinted. Sort of like a seal. The kindness that we receive from God should be imprinted on our hearts as we receive it. And we should have a desire to acknowledge it. The psalmist in Psalm 30, verse 10 says, 
Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Oh, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The idea this morning, brothers and sisters, is that suffering can bring about in us thanksgiving. Suffering. So here's where I want to be a little bit personal with you, and I want to share a story, and out of that story, I want to tell you what I learned about thankfulness by way of suffering. So, so bear with me for a few minutes. It was the early 90s. I had recently, actually about three or four years out of uh, Bible college, I attended Philadelphia College of Bible in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. I had gotten my first real pastoral job at a small Baptist church in Essington, right outside of the Philadelphia airport. I was making about a whopping $60 a week. I was really raking in the dough. I had a car, I had an apartment, life was good. But I looked around and I saw there was no mate for him. I'm him if you haven't figured that out. I looked around and there was no mate for me. And I wanted a mate, I wanted to be married, I wanted a woman in my life. And at this time I was working at Wawa at night, I I paid for college mostly through working at Wawa, now I had to pay for my loans by continuing to work for Wawa at night. I was a night manager, but there was no one in my life who I could commit my love and my life to. And I had made a commitment to the Lord that I would not date anyone who was not a strong believer. I didn't want to get in, I didn't want to be unequally yoked. So I made that promise to the Lord. One day, my Wawa manager, it's funny that it's a word now that we all understand, Wawa, Wawa. I mean, babies used to say that and we had no idea what it meant. But now we know what Wawa is, right? So my Wawa manager told me that, hey, there's a new girl starting, a new young lady starting, and I need you to train her because you're the evening shift manager. No problem, I got this, I'm gonna do it. Well, a few days later, a few evenings later, this young lady walks into Wawa Oh my, church, I was blown away. Lovely. Could launch a thousand ships. She came over and she smiled at me. Oh my. Have you ever had somebody whose smile just makes you smile and you feel all inside? That's how. She's something. Wow. Church, right away, we had a connection. And we started to work together. And we had the same sense of humor. We had the same attitude toward life. We, we just loved working with each other. And it was only a couple weeks. And I saw she was off one Saturday. And I said, oh, what's up? You're off this Saturday. We're not going to be working together. Church, she said, and I'll never forget this, I'm going to a young adults ministry event at my church. <laughs> Praise God. He is a sovereign Lord, isn't he? Church ministry, young adult event, you say. Where are you going? Oh, go so-and-so Bible church. She was a born-again believing Christian. Not only that, she invited me to the event. The rest was history. (laughs) We fell in love, and we just could not spend enough time together. Hiking, biking, reading books, sharing music, watching the snowfall. It was this beautiful, beautiful experience. And all my boxes were ticked, checked, I should say. 
of what I wanted in a mate, all but one. That summer, she took me to meet her mother. Now, she was raised by a single mother, and there was a big box in the right corner of my list, never marry a girl who has a crazy mother, because that means you will have a crazy mother-in-law. So, I met her mother church, and I was able to check that box. Her mother was normal, and she liked me, and we would flourish. All the boxes were checked. Fall came, had a great time. Then it was uh, late January. She worked as an architect in Media, Pennsylvania, in Wawa in the evening. And she said, hey, a lot of my friends are going to be in a church play this weekend, and I have tickets, you wanna go? I I didn't care about community plays, to be honest with you, but sure, I wanna go, I wanna be with you. So we went to the play, we're watching the play, and it was okay. You know, I was watching her smile and laugh and enjoy the play, and man, that just, I was in love, what can I tell you? I'm not ashamed of it, I'm not ashamed of it, I was in love. So we went backstage to meet her friends after the play, and obviously there was some cooler talk at work, not, not, not cooler, hey, I'm cool, but talk around the cooler. So when we met her female friend, her female friend came up to us and said, oh, so this is the guy you're gonna marry. <laughs> Hold the phone, Peggy, Hold the phone. <laughs> we're on the flip phones now, we're holding Peggy, this is exciting. So she squeezed my hand, I squeezed her hand. Yes, this was the guy she was going to marry. We knew it. It was set in stone. It would happen. So riding home from the play that evening, we were going up 476, something called the Blue Route, if you're familiar with Delaware County. It had just opened, and I was going off this Springfield ramp, getting directions to media, which would be a left off the ramp. The, the, the Blue Route goes over an overpass. The ramp comes down like this. So coming off the ramp, have our seat belts on, there's a green light. I never saw the car coming. It was a blue, huge Oldsmobile. It's going about 60 miles an hour against the embankment, off the road, on the side of the road, coming 60 miles an hour, driven by an inebriated 25-year-old. She had a red light, I had a green light, couldn't see past the embankment, went out into the intersection, her car plowed right into the side of my Buick Scarlock, a little you know, average sized car. Crushed the car, literally crushed my car. You, you, you wouldn't believe it if you saw it. 10 days later, I regained consciousness, Crozier Chester Medical Center. 10 days later, I looked down at the foot of my bed, church, who do you think's there? My mother, who else is there? Who else is gonna be there? My mother's there. Mary, Jesus, my mom. You know, it's, moms are great. We love moms. But you know, church, the first thing I said was, Mom, where's Donna? I want to see Donna. And she cast her eyes down to the floor and wouldn't look at me, so I knew something was wrong. I said again a little bit more forcefully, Mom, where's Donna? I want to see Donna. She said, she didn't make it. I said, what do you mean she didn't make it? She's dead. I said, when's the funeral? I don't know why I asked that, but I wanted to say goodbye. She said, when's the, I said, when's the funeral? She said, it was two days ago. Now, church, I don't tell you that story so that you feel bad. This was over 30 years ago. But it impressed upon me something that I want to share with you this morning. I was so mad at God. I was angry. How could he do this to me? I was in ministry for him. 
I was working for him. I slaved for him through school, through college, paying off bills for him. And he won't even let me say goodbye. In the soil of suffering, church, you either push him away or you allow a tree of thankfulness to grow. And I have to tell you, it took a long time. But the tree started to grow as I understood what life was really all about. And I want to share with you this morning, church, what I learned. And maybe, maybe from what I've learned, maybe you can learn a little bit. But I want to lean on our, our brother Paul this morning because he went through similar experiences. And the first two things I've learned this morning are going to seem similar, but I'm going to, I'm going to separate them a little bit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells us this, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Church, what, what word is Paul using? I, I, I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more of a servant of Christ. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Paul tells us all the things that he was and that he did. I, I, I. But then he tells us what he suffered for the Lord. And in chapter 12, church, he tells us what he learned from all of his suffering, from all the things that he thought he built with his hands, but that were taken away from him through his suffering. He concludes in chapter 12 by telling us this, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast, not in all the things that I did or all the things that I suffered, I will boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then, church, I am strong. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying what I was saying. Lord, I built this ministry of mine. I bought this car. I bought this apartment. I attracted this woman. I, 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 and then you took it all away. But what did the Lord reveal to me, church? That I was not the strong one. I was not the one who built anything. These hands were not the hands that made every blessing happen in my life. I had to come to the conclusion that these hands are only powerful when I put them together in prayer to my king. These hands 
build nothing. It's only in my weakness that I am strong because he is strong. So I'm thankful, church, that I learned that it's not all about my power and my strength. It's by his spirit and nothing else. And the second thing I learned is similar, church. I'm thankful for a solid foundation. Thankful. Jesus says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When the winds come, church, will your house stand? Brothers and sisters, when the rains come, will your house stand? Because the rains will come. So what's the difference between this thing I learned versus the first thing? Well, I had put my faith in myself, in the work of my hands, but I had also put my faith in something else. What gave me strength, church, what gave me meaning was stuff, was things. And even the best of things, a woman who I loved, a family, I built my foundation on those things. Yes, I had Jesus. I was, a, I was a minister of the gospel. I had Jesus, but he was in his nice little corner. He was at the side of the table, not at the head of the table. He had a seat at the table, but so did my family, so did my friends, so did my work, so did my ministry. My foundation church was built on sand because when it was removed, my house crumbled. My house fell. So I thank the Lord that he allowed me to rebuild on the rock that is Jesus. He allows us to rebuild. Our brother Paul reminds us as well. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Church, could you sustain the loss of all things? What are you leaning on this morning? What is the rock that gives you peace this morning? I know most of us would say Jesus, but hopefully it's not something else, something to be taken away. What, what if your love was gone, the person you loved? Would your foundation hold up? Do you consider all things in this world rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ? I don't know. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. It's a hard question to ask. It's a hard thing to believe. We love each other so much. There's nothing wrong with that. You just can't replace Jesus. 
I kept learning, church. I'm a husband, but I'm still teachable. The Lord had more for me to learn about thankfulness. I became thankful for each and every day. Each and every day. The psalmist says in Psalm 39, Lord, make me know my end. Make me understand that I'm going to die. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know that they're brief. They're so short. I don't have that many. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as a hand breath, four fingers, nothing to you, Lord. And my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Let that sink in, church. Every man, every woman at his or her best is a mere breath to God. A mere breath. So why am I thankful for that? Because I know it. I know it, church. What does the wisest man in the world tell us? What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. I'm thankful, church, that I had the lesson that I had, that something I love, something that I think is beautiful, something that I falsely build my foundation on can be taken away in a moment's time and I have to cling more closely to the rock that is Jesus Christ. But church, it's not only true that I could be gone tomorrow. It's true that that person next to you can be gone tomorrow. That's even more valuable. That gives me more thanks. Because if I have one more day to love that boy over there who I proudly call my son, I want it. I want that extra day to tell him that I love him. If I have one more day to see my present wife smile, I want that day, I, I want to be glad in it, and I want to enjoy it. I don't want to waste my life looking at a flickering screen. I don't want to waste my life thinking that I have so many of them left when the Lord tells me, even at my best, I am nothing but a breath. I want to look around and say, I love you, and I'm going to enjoy you. I'm going to appreciate you, and the Lord has given me one more day, and I will take it and be glad in it, and I will be thankful. What else can I be? The giver of life has blessed me. I am thankful to be blessed by God. I deserve nothing. I'm just like you. If I were to put a picture of a pardoned turkey to begin in my sermon, it would be a picture of you and me. We're all pardoned turkeys, aren't we? We deserve nothing. We should all get together for a group photo in the lobby. Next year, I'll use it. But here's what Isaiah says. Behold, you were angry for we sinned. We continued on our sins for a long time. And shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name, Lord, who arouses himself to take hold of you. 
For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. Church, I deserved nothing. I thought I was responsible for providing everything. I deserved nothing. And I bet if I were to ask you, do you deserve anything? I bet you would say, no, no, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I deserve nothing. But let me ask you, church, how do you walk in this world? As someone who deserves nothing and who is grateful for any little thing they have, or do you walk as somebody who deserves everything? How do you walk in this world? Humbly as a servant? Or that everybody owes you something? We are nothing. But I'm thankful that God didn't stop there. Because he's given me everything. The worm who deserved nothing was given everything. First Peter chapter 1, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, church, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. For you who deserve nothing, you have been given everything. Walk humbly and know what's in store for you. You don't need everything here, church. You don't need every material thing here because you have everything waiting for you in heaven. Let somebody else win. Let somebody else have the ball. Let somebody else get home before you. Because what's waiting for me is something that's not perishable. What's waiting for me is heaven. And you know, I can describe heaven to you in one word, church. Jesus. That is heaven. Jesus. I'm thankful that God knows me personally. Church, we often look at Psalm 139 in light of abortion, but there's a beautiful truth here in light of how God knows you that I just want to take a minute to share. Verse 13, for you, God, created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Lord, Lord, you knit me with care, with compassion, with love. How does your grandmother knit, church? I'm knitting little Jimmy a sweater. It's going to be the most. God knitted us together in the womb. Sorry, little Jimmy, if you're here. Told him what he's getting for Christmas. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Church, I struggle with that term, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I understand the wonderful part, because whatever the Lord does, whatever he puts his hand to, he creates something wonderful. He created something wonderful when he created you in your mother's womb. But what does this fearfully mean? It means then when someone looks at what he's knitted together, they are blown away by the awesomeness of the complexity, awesomeness of the design, the awesomeness of the love and compassion and knitting that went into it, that they, whoa, whoever created this person in this womb, he must be powerful. And what he's created, I'm, I'm even afraid to look at that because I know the creator is awesome. My frame was not hidden from you, no. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, 
Your eyes saw my unformed body. God's eyes were upon us. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. You mean God has a book? Yes, God has a book. And it's not just the Bible. He has a book and all of our names are written in it. And every day that was ordained for you is written in that book. You can turn to the John page. You can turn to the Al page. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. Why are they precious, church? Because his thoughts are about you. How precious to me are your thoughts about me. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. I am thankful, church, that God knows me. I am thankful. So, church, what do we do with all this thankfulness that's in our hearts? What do we do with all this joy, this gratefulness that's engraved upon our hearts? What do we do with it? What shall I return to the Lord for his kindness? Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death. You have delivered me from the soil of suffering. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone's a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all of his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Church, if I as a preacher ever say to you that it is our duty to pay back the Lord for his shed blood, for the price he paid for us, please don't be mad at me. And I say, would say it with a good heart, but I would be wrong. Church, you and I can't pay back the Lord one red penny for what he sacrificed for us. We can't pay back something that was given to us that had an immeasurable value. I should never go about my life thinking that if I do X, Y, or Z, I'm doing it to pay back the Lord for what he's done for me. No, no, I can't. What I can do is be thankful. I can let that kindness be imprinted upon my heart and by taking hold of that kindness, I can lift up the cup of salvation. I can pour out kindness to others. Lord, when, Lord, the Lord impressed me when we were doing communion earlier in the month. If you remember, I told you that many denominations call the Lord's table the Eucharist. And that word in Latin, which comes from Greek, means thankfulness. The table of the Lord is the table of thankfulness. And the psalmist tells us to lift up the cup of salvation. Brothers and sisters, when we take the cup at communion, what is that cup filled with symbolically? The blood of Christ. Would you bear with me that it's the blood of suffering? The blood of our suffering Lord is in that cup. So we take the cup of suffering at the table of thankfulness because from the soil of suffering church, comes the tree of thanksgiving. Right. Suffering and thanksgiving. So church, I want to close with this this morning. When you're gathered around, not the communion table, but the thanksgiving table this Thursday, when you're gathered around that table, I want you to just look around, hear all the sounds, 
the laughter, the joy. I want you to look at all the food and see that there's too much turkey. There's too much stuffing or filling, depending on where you grew up. There'll be more than enough for everybody to take home. And for just a moment, I want you to close your eyes and just imagine if in a moment all that was gone, that it was all taken away. But I want you to know that you still have Jesus. You would still have Jesus. But then I want you to open up your eyes, church, and realize that he has blessed you beyond belief because those people will still be there when you open up your eyes. But just realize they might not be there tomorrow, but they will still be there when you open up your eyes. And be thankful for that, church. Be blessed by that. And love them and live each day, not paying back the Lord, but living out that cup of suffering, that soil of suffering that grew into a tree of thanksgiving in your heart. Church, let's pray. And then I want to leave you with this blessing. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for suffering. I thank you for the eyes that it gives us to see how much we need you in this world. That you have chosen us to be brothers and sisters, to be saints, to be holy ones of God. And I pray that you will impress upon us thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, Lord. So that we may be a blessing to others. And that the cup of salvation will overflow in our lives and people will see it and say, there's a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Before you go out this morning, church, remember 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Go and be thankful. <laughs>